We're going to continue to worship the Lord this morning with our gifts, our tithes, and our offerings. And real quick, I got something in the mail yesterday, uh, a postcard from Nashville, Tennessee, where Tony and Kim Calabrese are planting Radiant Church in Nashville. And what probably uh, some of you don't know is that um, when I was talking to him, he was calling say, hey, how do you plant a church? Like, oh, don't ask me. Like, ask someone else that did it better. But I'll tell you what I know. And so we're talking through, and I asked, he was talking about, how do you raise money to do this? Like, well, you take all of your retirement and your home and everything else, and you turn it into a church. I said, what? I said, well, no. Yeah, but no. And uh, I said, well, are you guys even set up as a legal organization yet? He's like, no, how do we do that? And I'm like, all right, well, here's my lawyer. I want you to call him, and we're going to pay, Radiant Church, we're going to pay for all of your legal startup costs. And he's like, oh, my gosh, that's so insane. And so he's all pumped up about that. And so he sent us a postcard to Radiant Church. It says, as you know, church planting is a team sport and can't be accomplished alone. I can't say thank you enough for teaming up to get Radiant Nashville off the ground and started. Thank you for bearing the startup burden and creating momentum for us. We love and appreciate you greatly. Enjoy some great Nashville coffee beans. It was only a 12-ounce bag, so I kept that. But uh, <laughs> for the rest of you, uh, we're excited about that. He's down there on the ground right now, and in September, they are launching Radiant Church Nashville. Couldn't be happier that we get to be a part of that. So, God, as we give back to you, we're so grateful that you have first given to us. In Jesus, we think specifically of Radiant Church Nashville, Tennessee this morning. God, we ask that you would go and that you would be the provision for everything that Tony and Kim need, Jesus, that you would bring them a team of people, God, that you would bring them all the finances, all of the wisdom that they need, Jesus, that you would be the one who's gathering people who right now are hurt, who are broken, who are far from you. They're going to come into Radiant Church in Nashville, and they're going to receive life and a changed life forevermore. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, if you're a guest here this morning, thank you so much for being here. We know we're experiencing a mini heat wave in Michigan. You're probably tempted to go sun yourself and do something like that or hit the pools, but you chose to be here this morning, so we're so grateful for that. We'd love to have you fill out one of the communication cards in the seat back in front of you and uh, drop that off at our guest central when you exit the auditorium doors. We have a gift bag for you as a way of saying thank you so much for being here. And then this week, I'd love to shoot you an email just welcoming you to the church and seeing if there's anything that we can do for you or any questions that we can answer. Also, we have our breakthrough series coming up starting February 18th. And what the idea behind it is for six weeks, so from February 18th through the end of March, is looking at what we need to do to see God's breakthrough inside of our lives. Every single one of us, we have things that are there's areas in our lives where we need Jesus to move and to do something. And so we're going to be looking at biblically how it was that the people in the Bible saw that happen in their lives. Now, if you come here Sunday mornings, it's going to be incredible. You're going to love it, but you'll only get half of what's available for you. We're also going to have breakthrough groups where we'll be meeting once a week in the homes. This is beautiful book that has daily kind of devotionals for you to go through, and then some group questions you ask. It'll be about a 15-minute video teaching that you watch in the groups, and it'll be a place where you can be sharing with other people what's going on, the breakthrough that you need to see, encourage each other, dive into scripture together, build relationships, all of the things that really you need to live out the Christian life fully. So, um, what we're looking for is we need about two or three more people to sign up to be host for these groups. And all that means is like, you don't have to be a good leader, you don't have to be a teacher or anything like that. 
You just have to be able to open up your home once a week for about an hour and a half and then be able to hit play on a DVD player or stream the video to your TV and then um, like give some people some water and peanuts or something, like some kind of snack. Like, that's it. It's like literally if you can do like a, the plain thing and throw peanuts and water at people, you can host a breakthrough group. Um, but you can sign up for that at radiantA2.com or you can go to our uh, guest central area and people there can get, help you get signed up. We're looking about two, three more hosts. And then in a couple of weeks, we'll start opening up registration for everybody to be able to get in a group for the series. It's going to be incredible. And then also tonight at 6.30 p.m. right here, we have our night of worship. And I, yeah, I'm excited about it. Our last one that we did two months ago was absolutely incredible. By far my favorite service we have ever done. And it was just powerful. It was just a time to come together and encounter Jesus. And I encourage you, be there tonight. There's no child care because we want the kids in here with us experiencing God and learning to worship. And if you're like, well, my kid might cry, that's okay. My kid's going to be crying tonight too. The baby, not the six-year-old. Hopefully not the six-year-old. But we just want to be together as a family seeking after Jesus. So if you can be here tonight at 6.30, you don't want to miss it. It's going to be incredibly powerful. And I really believe that you're going to walk out of it really refreshed, rejuvenated, and having encountered Jesus. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 2. We started out this series on December 31st called 21 Days of Prayer. And the idea behind it is we don't want to just fast and pray for 21 days. And that's kind of how we typically have started the year at Radiant Church is 21 days of prayer and fasting. But I really wanted to take 21 days to teach on prayer and fasting, why it is that we pray, why it is that we fast, what happens when we combine these two spiritual disciplines together. And I wanted us to really learn what it is, but now I want us to go and take what it is that we've been learning about and actually apply it to our lives and start to be people who pray and fast as a normal part of our Christian life. See, the, we have a problem in Western church, and one of the great things that we have now is we live in an age where you can watch world-class teachers of the Bible anywhere. You can pull out your phone and you can watch like Jack Stephen Furtick flex and walk around and like just preach the Bible like no one's business. Uh, Jimmy Evans and Robert Morris preaching. You can hear Craig Rochelle teach just incredible things. And I love that because, like all of you, I'm, I'm watching those videos every day and learning. Um, I love it. But part of what's happened, though, is it's made it really easy for us to become connoisseurs of fine teaching. And what happens, have you ever seen a wine tasting or been a part of one? You take all these vintage, wonderful, aged wines that has all this time's gone into preparing them, and you just put a little bit in your mouth, and, you're like, and then you spit it out. And then you taste the next one, and then you spit it. I was like, the llama effect. It's like, like, you never actually enjoy what it is. You never take it inside of you. You never allow it to change you. I guess inebriation maybe isn't the change we're looking for. Food. We're going to tell like food. Find food that's been prepared for you. You see the cooking shows where the contestants, they prepare this beautiful dish, and you're salivating. You're like, oh my gosh, I want to try that so bad. And what do the judges do? They take like this little tiny bite, and they're like, and then they just tell you how terrible it is. I'm like, no, like, don't take a little bite. I, ah, ah, like put the whole thing in your mouth right now. But we can do the same thing with the Bible. Ooh, that verdict. That's a good word. That's so good. Oh, man, did you hear what Kirk Rochelle said? That was deep. Oh, man, that was good. We take these little tiny bites, but we never swallow it. We never really ingest it. We never let it change us in who we are. We never apply it to our lives so that we become drastically different people. And this is what 
I mean, this is something that's been going on for a long time. And so this is what James says to the church. He's writing to Christians like that, where we just, oh, that's a good word. I'm just collecting all of these words. And he says, but do not listen to God's word. I'm sorry, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. If you just hear the word of God, but don't do the word of God, then what's going to happen is you're going to think, oh, look, I learned all this stuff about prayer. I learned that prayer connects us to God. Knowing that prayer connects you to God doesn't actually connect you to God. Praying does. We learn about prayer so that we can now pray and actually connect with a God. When we learn about fasting, it's like, oh, what fasting does is it disconnects me from the world and all the strength and desires of the flesh in me, and I'm learning to put them into submission so that the desires of the Holy Spirit can reign in my life. Just knowing that doesn't actually make it so that you're disconnected from the world and the Holy Spirit's reigning and ruling in your life. You have to actually fast to start doing that. If you think that you're going to be changed just by knowledge without applying it and taking it deep inside of yourself and allowing it to produce change inside of your heart, then James says you're only fooling yourself. I don't want us to be a bunch of people that know all kinds of things about prayer and fasting, but never actually pray and fast. So here's what we're doing. For these next 21 days, I'm going to be asking you all to pray and to fast with me. Us individually, us as a church, uh, let's pray, let's fast and seek God together. Some of you, you've already been doing some fasting. Some people told me today is my last day of my fast because they started at the beginning of the year. That's great. Make it a part of your weekly routine. What I encourage you all to do is figure out over the next 21 days, how, how long are you going to fast? Are you going to fast for one day, or like one day a week, that's what I do on Thursdays because we meet right here on Thursday nights from 8 to 9 p.m. to pray together and to worship and just call on Jesus to bring revival to our hearts, to our church, and to our city. And so I like to pray and fast all day, and it gets me ready to come and just really seek after Jesus. So Thursdays, that's just a part of my weekly routine for fasting. It's a part of the normal Christian life. I encourage you, find a day like that. It's what the early church did. They fasted every Wednesday and every Friday together. And we see what happened in the early church. It produced incredible power inside of their life and in their ministry. Maybe it's that you'll say, hey, I'm going to fast for three days or five days or seven days, whatever. Maybe it's, I'm going to fast from sunup to sundown. or uh, Just figure out how it is that you want to fast. What type of fast are you going to do? Some people do water fast, where all I'm going to do during my period of fasting, whether it's for a day or however long it might be, is I'm just going to drink water and, and no other things. I'm going to beat the desires of my body into submission. Um, some people might say, I'm going to cut out meat, or I'm only going to drink juice, or uh, I'm going to do a Daniel fast, which is fruits and vegetables. But find something that you can fast. Pick out the kind of schedule or the flow that you want to go with on that. And then pick out some things that you're going to be praying for. If we're just fasting and we're not praying, Basically, you're just doing a really extreme weight loss method, and that's the only benefit that you're going to get out of it. That's not why we fast. We fast so that we can disconnect from the voices of the world so that we can more clearly hear the voice of God when we connect to him through prayer. So what are the things that you need to see Jesus do inside of your life? What is the change that needs to happen in your heart? What's the provision that you need? Who's the friend, family member, coworker that needs Jesus to do something miraculous in your life? Be praying for Radiant Church. And this is one of the things we're going to be doing is for the next three weeks, I'm going to be teaching on things that we can seek after together for us collectively as a church, as Radiant Church. This is what we're seeking after. And so today, the first one that we're going to be talking about is that we are fasting and we are praying for God to make us a church that is just absolutely passionate about Jesus. 
So that we're a church, we're a people who are red-hot, passionate, loving Jesus, seeking after him with everything inside of us, and that this passion that we have for Jesus is the motivation behind every thought we think, behind every action that we do. It's just the all-encompassing motivation and love of our life is Jesus, and knowing him, finding him, seeking after him in his presence. Jesus uses this analogy a lot. Actually, God, throughout the entire Bible, When he talks about the kind of relationship that he wants with us, the kind of relationship that's possible for us, is he's always talking about marriage. Going all the way back to when God reveals himself on Mount Sinai to Moses and to the people of Israel. It says he's coming with the sound of the horns and all of these things. And it was the imagery of it is it's like a bridegroom is coming for his bride. And he's entering into a covenant with them. That's what marriage is. It's a lifelong covenant that we enter into. Jesus is coming to enter into that lifelong covenant with his people, the church. And it says that he has a passionate commitment for them. That Jesus has a passionate commitment for us, his people, his church. And he speaks to us all throughout the Bible as being his bride. That we, the church, collectively, we are the bride of Christ and that he's the groom who's coming for us. He has that kind of a love for us, that kind of a passion for us, that kind of a commitment for us is like a groom who's coming for his bride. It's the deepest, most intimate relationship that there is. And that's what Jesus has for us. It's what he created us to experience with him. It's what he's called us to be. It's the way that he's called us to live in our relationship with him. And what's crazy about it? It's like, we don't deserve that. Have you ever met someone where they married someone that you thought was maybe a little bit underneath them? Like, you can definitely do better than that. Like, you ever think, like, maybe some of the angels are like, hey, Jesus, are you sure these are the people you want to be committed to? Like, you're passionately committed about them? You can do better than that. Come on, Jesus. Because the truth is, there's nothing to brag about with us. We don't deserve the king of heaven to be the one who has that kind of a covenant relationship with us. The story of humanity is that we were created in the image of God, that we were created to know him deeply and intimately, and we turned our back on him. And we weren't faithful to him. Through no fault of his own, but our hearts just went out to other things. That's the story of every single one of us. We were created with a call. We were created with destiny built inside of our hearts. We were created to know Jesus, to know him deeply, to be passionately committed to him, just like he's passionately committed to us, and to walk into the fullness of all the blessings that he has for us. But instead of accepting him and accepting all that he has for us, we've gone after all of these other things. All of these other things that became attractive to us. And we left him. We sinned, we rejected him, we despised him, we spurned his every advance, we did everything that we could to make ourselves dirty and disgusting and broken before him. We did everything that anyone ever could to make, make us like he should have broke off the engagement. He should have looked at us and said, well, I'm glad I found this out before the wedding. There is no way I should be married to that person. But you know what Jesus did? He didn't look at us and despise us because of our unfaithfulness. He didn't look at us and despise us because of our brokenness. He looked at us in all of our brokenness and all of our sin. Even though we'd rejected him, we'd been faithless to him. 
He said, I'm still so passionately committed to you. I'm so loving towards you that it doesn't matter what it is that you've done. It doesn't matter what it is that's been done to you. There's no distance that you could travel from me where I won't keep seeking after you and pursuing you. There's nothing that you could do that will disqualify you from me loving you and being passionate about you. There's absolutely nothing. And it says that he left the glory of heaven and that he came down as man, that he lived amongst us, humbled himself to that point to come and to rescue his bride, the church. He went to the deepest pit because that's where we were. He went as far into destruction as he could go because that's what we had been doing. And it culminates with him going to the cross where he's been despised and rejected by the bride that he came to save. And he goes to the cross. And on the cross, what he does is he takes everything broken about us. He takes everything that separated us from him, everything that made it so that we weren't able to be his bride. He bore it on himself and he paid the full penalty for all of our sin on the cross with his own life, with his own blood that was shed on our behalf. And in doing so, he removed sin from us, he defeated the power of sin and death, and made it so that now we no longer had to live in bondage to the sin that we've been living into. What that means is literally we were redeemed. He came and he redeemed his bride. It says we were living as slaves to sin. We had gone and sold ourselves into sin. We were made to be the bride of Christ, but instead we sold ourselves out to sin and became in bondage to it. And he came, and by laying down his own life, he redeemed us out from that place so that now we could be pure again so that now everything that separated us from him all of the rejection all of the destruction all of the sinfulness brokenness everything he took all of that on himself and he paid the penalty that he, that we owed with his own life and that now he sits at the right hand of the father and it says that he reigns and he rules over all things and it says that the reason why he does that is for the church the problem was that we'd sold ourselves into the slavery of sin. Well, he came and defeated it and became the ruler over all things so that we, the church, could be redeemed and restored back to everything that he always created us to be so that we could enter into that relationship once again where we are the bride of Christ and we're waiting for the groom to come. And we're in this period now, it's like it's the engagement. He came and he rescued us, he saved us, and now we await his return where he's coming. What we see in the book of Revelation is that the way that all of this world ends up when God finally brings the fullness of restoration to all of creation is that it says that there's this banquet feast that's prepared, the wedding feast of the Lamb, Jesus being the Lamb, and that he comes for his bride. and He's united to us forever. For all eternity, we sit at the table with our groom, and we celebrate, and we love him, and we experience the intimacy with him that we were always created to have. That's the kind of passion that Jesus has for us. That's the kind of commitment that he has for us. And it's the way that Jesus has called us as his bride to love him and to be committed to him. Jesus is coming for a bride. He's preparing us. He's making us into the bride for himself that is passionate and is committed to him as well. This, you know why I love Jesus so much? It's because he showed me a love that I didn't deserve. You know why my kids love me? Because I provide them with everything they need. 
They didn't have a choice. I was the only human around them for a while. There's nothing about us that should have made us attractive to Jesus. We disqualified ourselves again and again and again. We deserved wrath. We deserved to be broken up with. We deserved to be cast out. But he was so passionate about us that even when we were living as his enemies, even when I wanted nothing to do with him, he still wanted everything to do with me to the point of where he died for me. And that kind of love captured my heart. That's why I love him. Jesus is looking for a church who loves him in that way. A church who's passionate about him. It's what he demands. Jesus doesn't want a marriage that is without passion in it. He's so worthy of us being passionate about him and who he is. He's worthy of that. He's deserving of us being that way. But that's not always the way that we feel towards him. It's not always the way that we behave towards him. And that's a natural part of the way that our relationships exist in the brokenness of humanity right now. If if you're married or if you've uh, had a significant other, you know what it's like when you have that that like you met each other for the first time. When Ann and I met the first time, there were no sparks whatsoever. But then we met again like four months later. It was like, <sighs> like she's so beautiful. Like she doesn't want anything to do with me. I'm like, oh gosh, I cut my hair. I, I got to make myself like look good for her because I got to like reel her in and trick her. And uh, it's like cleaning my car, trying to make myself acceptable and beautiful for her. And you know what I wanted? I just wanted to be with her. Like, like it wasn't like, hey, let's make these elaborate plans to hang out and go do this. It's like, no, okay, hey, you want to hang out? <laughs> and that was, yeah, sure, do you want to hang out? Yeah, where? I don't know. <laughs> because it was just this weird puppy love that existed inside of our hearts where passion had been stirred up. Because I saw Anna on how beautiful she was, how wonderful she was. And she, like, oh my gosh, I just want to spend time with her. You know what I didn't think? I want to be really committed to her. I want to be in a really long-term committed relationship where there's no passion whatsoever, but we meet each other's needs and we provide for a family and all these. Like, that's not the plan that you have when you meet someone and fall in love. It's just, oh my gosh, I just want to be with them. We don't have to do anything. Like, what show did we watch? I don't even know. Like, her mom would always be watching these shows like, um, before American Pickers was out. Like, worse than American Pickers. <laughs> With, like, swamp people and stuff, picking things. I don't know. <laughs> but it was awesome because I'm just, like, sitting next to her and trying to be like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you just, like, I get to be in her presence. I have passion for her. I just want to be with her. I remember one time we watched Harry Potter, because I wasn't into Harry Potter at all, still not into Harry Potter, sorry, and she's, but we were going out on a date to see the second one, because it was the opening weekend, and she's like, you haven't seen the first one? And I'm like, no, they're stupid, so I don't really care, I just want to go out with you. Well, you have to see it, but there wasn't time, so she watched it in fast forward, where I can't, and then she narrates it, at, I think it was like 4x speed, so we could get it done. That's passion. That I didn't just walk out and be like, what on earth? I didn't care because I just wanted to be with her. Yeah. Now none of you are ever going to come to me for marriage counseling again. <laughs> but I had passion. It didn't matter. I just, you know what we thought? 
was like, if we could just be together. You remember that phase of the relationship? Gosh, I don't need anything else. Like, I don't care if we live in a mud hut in Antarctica without heat. As long as we're together, the only thing I need in all of this world is to be with you. I don't care about my career. I don't care about my car. I don't care about my job. I, I don't care about any of these things. As long as we're together, that's all we need. Then you got married. <laughs> and it's like, well, I got to work more because I got to get a better house because the car broke down, so I got to get more hours in. And so I mean, it was this, all we need is each other. It's like, okay, well, I got to go do this thing real quick, but I'm going to come back. And it's like, oh, now the kids need braces. Now I got to work some more. And now the PTA meeting's over here. And it's like, you're just, all of these things and all of these other things become big pursuits to you that you're putting your time and your attention and your focus into. And what's happening? The passion that you had, the all I need is you, all I want out of life is just to be here with you forever and ever and ever. I don't care if we never do anything, just be together, that's all I want. That gets neglected. It begins to fade. And a lot of couples end up having the passion die inside of their relationship. Am I still be committed to each other? I'm going to be faithful to you. We're going to raise this family together. We're going to save for retirement together. But all it is is a commitment. I'm committed to my best friend, but no passion. <laughs> I want commitment and passion in my marriage. That's what Jesus wants from us. He wants us to go back to that place. Jesus, you're the only thing I want. You're the only thing I need. You can have the whole world as long as I have my Jesus, that's all I need. I'm willing to give up everything else. I don't care if my career never does what I hoped it would do. I don't care if I never have the 2.3 kids or whatever that I thought I would have. I don't care if I'm never recognized. I don't care if I drive a 17-year-old Honda Civic with 400,000 miles on it. I don't care because I have Jesus, and that's all that I need. And I found it in him. But what happens? So I've got to take care of this thing now. Okay, well, I gotta do this one thing. I gotta do this other thing over here. Before we know it, we might still be committed to Jesus, but there's no passion anymore. Jesus deserves better than that from us, and He demands better than that from us. This is what He says. In Revelation 2, verses 1 through 5, I'm going to chunk this up a little bit. It says, to the angels in the church of Ephesus, and it says to the angels, it doesn't mean that it's writing to an angelic being that's the guardian angel of the church. What that means is it's talking about to the prevailing spirit. Like if I said, you have a real cheerful spirit about you, that means that cheerfulness is something that defines you. It's a mark of who you are. What he's saying is that he's addressing the spiritual climate of the church in Ephesus. That's what he's saying. And he says, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. What it's saying is that Jesus is the one who's here, that he's the one who knows us. Golden lampstands, that's always a symbol of the church. What are we? We're the light of the world. Jesus has called us to be that. We're elevated. We're on a pedestal, a lampstand that shines the glorious light of Jesus Christ all around us. That's always a symbol of the church. So Jesus is saying, I'm the one who's walking amongst the churches. I always find an empty seat. It's usually in the first row. Sometimes I put a reserve sign on it. The reason I do that because I want to remind myself that Jesus is here. 
We aren't up here just learning about Jesus. We aren't here just singing songs about Jesus. We are here to worship Jesus and that he's here when we gather. There's something special that happens when we get together in our meetings. It's not just us gathering, but it's us and Jesus. He says, I'm here. I'm walking up and down the aisles of the churches. I'm here. And because he's here, he's present with us. He knows us and he knows our condition. And he continues on, and he says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance, and I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Jesus starts out, and I should have said this, this is an actual letter that Jesus dictated to John and said, I want you to write down the words that I'm saying and deliver it to the church. So this is a hand-dictated like letter from Jesus to the church. And Jesus is saying, you guys are knocking out of the park in this area. Ephesus was a really hard city to be a Christian. The temple of Artemis was there. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. And the entire economy of the city was based on the worship of Artemis there at the temple. People from all over the world are coming there. There were over a thousand temple prostitutes. Their livelihood was they worked at the temple. As a part of worship, you'd go in with a prostitute. There were people that made idols of Artemis, and they would sell them to you. Like when you it's like going to a flea market. It's like, here, buy our keychain. Like the Artemis keychains for you. And all of that kind of stuff. And the t-shirts that they're selling you. There's all of the restaurants that come along with that. The lodging. Everything is built around the worship of Artemis at the temple. So when you come along and you're like, Artemis is a false god. Jesus is the true god. Turn and repent of your sins. Stop worshiping an idol. Stop going into the prostitutes. Stop selling your keychains. All of this other stuff. Reject all of that and follow only after Jesus. How do you think all the people that are employed through serving people at the temple are going to feel about that? They hated them. In fact, when Paul was there preaching this, it says that all of the craftsmen, the guild there of the craftsmen making the idols, they surrounded him and they just like came up like, go, Art, like Artemis is great, Artemis is great. And it says for over two hours, all they do is chant that. It'd be like if we found an Ohio State fan, we surround them, go blue, go blue, go blue for two hours. Like, dude, what, like, what the heck just happened here? And it's such a, like a riot breaks out because Paul's proclaiming that Jesus alone is God and worship him only. They tried to assassinate him for that. He had to have Roman guards to keep him from dying. A lot of Christians were being beat up. They were being persecuted. They were not allowed to do business inside of the city because of this. It was tough to be a Christian in Ephesus. And Jesus is saying, good job. You're persevering. You're going through hardships and trials, but you're not backing down. And he says, and then an even greater threat to you is the false teachers that have come out. There's all of these other people that had come and say, we're an apostle of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you what the Bible really means. Here's a new revisionist way that you can interpret scriptures. And there was the Judaizers who came along, and what they did was they said that Jesus is the Messiah, but in order for you to be able to really follow after him, all of you Gentiles that are now come into the family of God, you have to follow all of the Old Testament law. So what happens is, let's say you're a 30-year-old guy and you decide to follow Jesus. You're like, yes, Jesus is God. And you're like, great, now let's get the flint rack out because we're going to have a circumcision party. And you're like, no, I like Artemis better. I'm going back. And you had to eat, like you couldn't eat shellfish and bacon and all of those sorts of things. They're putting up all of these roadblocks to keep these new converts from really following after Jesus by putting all of these man-made rules on them. And they rightly recognize that that isn't true and they rejected these false apostles. And the Nicolaitans who came in, 
And they said, hey, only the spirit is good, the body is bad, so you can do whatever you want with your body because it's not important. So you can drink what you want, smoke what you want, sleep with who you want. None of that stuff matters because it's just your fleshly body and that's not important. Well, now, they were able to test that and say, actually, scriptures say all of these other things that we're supposed to do, so they recognized them. And let's be honest, that sounds like a lot more fun gospel than the gospel that we follow. Like, hey, get to do whatever you want because nothing matters. But they recognized that and rightly confronted it, and Jesus says, good job. You recognized all of these fake people that are coming and trying to present you with another gospel, and you stayed true to the truth that I have revealed. And then he goes on after commending him about these things, and he says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Some of your translations say you've forsaken your first love. What that means is he's writing to them, and he's saying, You guys are doing so good in so many areas. You're really committed to me. You're so committed to me that you're willing to be beaten and persecuted and killed. You're so committed to me that you're exposing all of the false teachers that are coming amongst you and rejecting their false gospel. But you have no passion for me anymore. You've forsaken the love that you had for me at first. When I revealed myself to you, all you wanted was to be with me. That's it. It was passion. It was that passion you had for me that led you to do these other things. You know, imagine, you're thinking, what are you talking about, Jesus? Like, I serve. I'm exposing falsehoods. I'm clinging to truth. I'm reading my Bible. I'm studying. I'm evangelizing. Jesus, I'm tithing. I'm, I'm rocking babies in the nursery. What are you talking about? I don't love you. You're committed to me, but you have no passion. You're a bride that has no passion for their groom. That's not what I want for us. That's not the way you were intended to live. That's not the way this relationship was ever intended to be. You've forsaken that love, that burning red-hot passion that you had for me the day that I revealed myself to you and you realized how good I was and how great my love was for you. You didn't want anything else but just my presence. That's all you wanted, all you needed. But now you've become so concerned with so many other things that you've neglected the passion part of the relationship. I didn't come for a passionless bride. I came for a bride that's burning red-hot in love with me, who wants me, who wants my presence. This has been a hard thing to hear. Jesus, I've forsaken you. I've forsaken the love that I had for you. So you evaluate yourself. Is that maybe what Jesus would be saying to you this morning? You've forsaken the love that you used to have for me. You don't have the passion for me that you once had. You don't have the passion for me that I have for you. This is what Jesus says to them. He says, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. 
And what Jesus is doing is he's confronting them with the fact that they have no passion for him. But he's not doing it again to condemn them or to shame them, but he's doing it to call them back to the place of where they're exposed to be. And this is what he tells them to do. He gives them a three-step plan for, that sounds so terrible in this context, but he gives them these three things to do to restore the passion for him. The first thing he says is that you need to consider how far we've fallen. That's stir up to remembrance how far we've fallen. To do that, we have to remember where we were, where we used to be. What was that moment in your life where you were most passionate about Jesus? When you desired his presence most in your life, where you cared as little about the world around you as you possibly could, and all you wanted was to be with Jesus. It's like David said, there's only one thing that I ask, and that's to find your presence, or to find your glory in the place where your presence dwells, something like that. I killed it. But all he wanted was to be with Jesus. That was his only desire. He says, if I only get to have one thing in this life, if I only get to ask you for one thing that I get to receive from you, it's that I want to know you. I want to be with you. I want your presence in my life. What was that moment for you? What he's doing is he's calling us as his bride. He's calling us to church to look back and to remember how things used to be and to consider where we are now. How far have we fallen in our passion for Jesus? That assessment saying it's not like it used to be. I don't have the passion for him that I used to have. And then the second thing that he tells us to do is to repent. After we recognize the passion that we used to have in this new place that we've fallen to, he says, I want you to repent. It means I want you to admit it. I want you to confess it. Jesus, I did blow it. You're worthy of so much more passion than what I have for you right now. You're the king. You're the king who came and redeemed me when I was so far from you. You're worthy of passion from me. God, forgive me of the sin of not having passion for you. I'm not having that passionate commitment for you like you do for me because your value and your worth is so much greater than the worth that I could ever have. So I should be even more passionate about you than you are for me because you're worth more than I am. And then a part of that repentance is not just saying, God, forgive me of this, but it's saying, I'm changing the way I'm going to live my life from here on out. I might have let the fire of my heart for you die down. I might have been distracted by other things. I might have allowed disappointment to creep into my heart that killed the passion that I had for you. But Jesus, from this day forward, my life is going to be about knowing you. My life is going to be about stirring up a flaming passion for you, for knowing you, for bringing glory to your name, for finding you in the place where your glory dwells, of saying everything else in the world, I don't care about it. I just want you, Jesus, and as long as I have you, as long as I know your presence in my life, as long as I know your love that you have for me and I'm expressing my love to you, that's all I need and that's what I'm committing my life to from this day forward. God help me. That's the repentance end of it. And then he says this, do the things we did at first. He says, you found yourself passionless. It's not like it used to be. You want to know how you get back there? You repent of it. You ask God to forgive you and to empower you once again but go back to doing the things you used to do. In marriage, you know, with Anna, there's been seasons in our life where passion was like, woo, and then there's been seasons where, boo. 
You know what I discovered in the seasons where the passion's gone, but the commitment's still there? We're not doing the things we used to do. We're not watching Harry Potter and 4X Speed anymore. <laughs> We're not just sitting there on the couch with our arms around each other anymore. I'm not just holding her hand while I'm walking down the street. I'm not buying her flowers like I used to. I'm not writing her cards like I used to. I'm not writing stupid songs on my guitar and singing them like I used to. I'm busy with all of these other things that I think are more important than just spending time with her. When people come to me and they say, in our marriage, there's just no passion in it anymore. We can never fall in love again, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, you can. How? Well, I know you can because you fell in love with this person before. If you fell in love with them before, you can fall in love with them again. They're the same person. Just go back to doing what we used to do. We used to go on dates more than once every three years. You should probably try going on a date again. You guys love going now, getting Mexican, and then just taking a walk in the park? You need to start doing that, like a lot. You need to start watching movies together again. You need to start holding hands. Like, what were the things that you were doing? What were the things that made you fall in love and have passion develop inside of your heart? Go back to doing those things. And they're like, what? And then they do it, and they're like, what? Because <laughs> the passion will come back when you do the things that you used to do, when you do the things that you did at first. Jesus is saying it's the same way for us. What were you doing when you were just red hot, passionately in love with Jesus? You want to be that way again? Start doing those things. Somewhere along the way, you got sidetracked. Somewhere way along the way, you were distracted, you were busy, your heart grew cold. But Jesus comes, and thank you, Jesus, that you do this, that you remind us of what we could have with you. You remind us of the relationship that you want to have with us. This is the thing, like, the life with Jesus is better than we ever could have imagined. It's better than we ever could have hoped for. It's not that do this, don't do that, do these things. It's, it's someday you'll get to go to heaven and have a new body. It's that I get to know Jesus here and now, deeply, intimately, that I get to experience the joy that a bride has for his groom. And I get to give the joy that a bride has for, I said it backwards. Anyways, there's joy being passed around. I get to experience that kind of a relationship with God. I wasn't created just to sit here and twiddle my thumbs and wait for the bus to heaven someday. Life stinks. But someday I get to go be with heaven. It's no, right here, right now, you can know Jesus. You can have that kind of relationship with him. It's what he created you for. It's what he wants for us. It's the kind of love that he has for you. And it's the kind of love that he calls us to have for him. You know what? We need to be committed to Jesus. There's going to be seasons where it's tough and where you have to do things that you don't want to do. And that's where the commitment comes in. But you know what fuels our commitment? It's passion. I'm committed because I have a passion for Jesus inside of my heart. Because I have a love for him that can't die, that won't go away. That he's become the focus of every waking moment of my life. Jesus said this, if you love me, you'll obey me. Do you understand what he's saying there? It's not, okay, I have to prove I love Jesus by obeying him. It's because I love him so much, now I'm going to obey him. You have to get the right order. I love you, Jesus. I experience your love. I'm receiving your love. I'm giving you love. And now because of this, I'm going to live in the way that you've called me to. 
The commitment that we have to serve, to give, to stand up for truth, to reject false teachings, to go to the needy and the hurting and the poor and the broken, all of these things, they have to flow out of the red-hot passion that we have for Jesus and who he is and who he's called us to be so it becomes the delight of our life to be committed to him. That's the life we can have. It's the life that we're called to. He says this, This is how he ends the passage. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. What Jesus is saying there is that if you remain a church that's without passion for me, a church with a bunch of people that have forsaken their first love, I'm not going to let it be a church anymore. I'm going to remove the church Why would he do that? Jesus won't suffer to have a bride that doesn't love him. He will pursue us to the ends of the earth because of his great love for us. And he's always going to call us to repentance. He's always going to call us into relationship with him. But if we aren't going to live the way that he's called us to be as a church, because these are the things I have to understand. The passion that we have for Jesus is one of the greatest forms of evangelism that there is. Have you ever met someone where you have a friend and you've never met, they just got engaged, but you've never met the fiancé yet? When they tell you, oh, I remember, it's like, oh, if my wife was telling her friends, oh, he's handsome. He's swole. He's a great guy. He's occasionally funny. Other people here are like, that sounds like a great guy. I want to meet this Jeremy. It makes me appealing and makes it so that other people want to meet me. That's what we do. When we have a passion for Jesus, we make other people want to know this Jesus who we've fallen in love with. You ever met someone that was like, yeah, I just got engaged. Oh, what's, what's he like? Eh. I mean, it's all right, I guess. So you're going out with other guys? Yeah. What? Like you're hanging out with other guys? You're, didn't you just get engaged? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's really going to work out. Or if they told you, oh, yeah, he's, I mean, you know, he only beats me when he's drunk. Great guy, though. Like you would hate this guy. The, the way that we love Jesus or the way that we're dead is either going to make Jesus so beautiful and so attractive to others so that we become a candle and a lampstand that shines light and beauty into the world around us to all of those who are captives of sin and of darkness so they see the dawning of their light and they want the freedom and the life and the salvation and the love that only Jesus can give them. Or the light of our candle goes out. There goes our passion. And we're not able to model and to demonstrate the beauty of Jesus to the world around us. Jesus won't let a church like that exist. He loves the world around us far too much to allow a passionless, dead church to stand up there as the example of the life that we've been called to. And he'll raise up another church. We're not going to let that happen to Radiant. We will never let this church be removed because we forsook our love of Jesus. In fact, what we're going to do 
is we're going to go after Jesus more than we've ever gone after him before. We're going to stir up a love for him inside of our hearts like we've never had before. We're going to be those who every day we're considering, we're remembering, we're taking that, that temperature of the spiritual climate of our hearts. Jesus, am I passionate about you today? Am I loving you? Am I committed to you? Or have I allowed it to start to go down? And if I have, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me. I'm coming back after you, and I'm going back to doing the things that I did at first because I want my love for you to grow. I want to take hold of everything that you have for me relationally. I want to know you. I want to find you. I want the life that you have for me. I want the marriage relationship, the covenant thing that you have for me, Jesus. That's what I want, and I'm not going to quit until that's what I have. I'm going to take hold of it if it's the only thing that I do on this earth. And when we as a church become a bunch of people, hundreds of people that are doing that. The city around us that's living in darkness, the captives who are living in bondage right now, they're going to look and they're going to see how beautiful it is. And it won't be the arguments that we make that convince them of the beauty of Jesus and why they should put themselves in the position of where they bend the knee to him and say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. You're going to define reality for me. You're going to define truth for me. And I'm going to come after you and follow you every day of my life. Our arguments will never do that but our passion will. Our passion is the proof of the power of the gospel to change our hearts. When people come in here and they take their seat and they see that we love Jesus and it comes out in everything we do from the way we pray to the way we worship to the way that we care for the poor and the needy amongst us and the way that our hearts go out to them. God is real. It says that Jesus sits inhabited in the praises of his people. He inhabits our praises. He sits enthroned on our praises. That he walks amongst the churches. People come in here and experience our hearts on fire and the power of God combined. That's where chains are going to be broken. That's where blind eyes are going to be opened. That's where hearts are going to be set free. Would you stand with me this morning? take a moment to pray. Holy Spirit, would you search our hearts? Jesus, what would you say to us? Are we passionate about you? Are you receiving the love and the affection from us that you're worthy of, that you deserve? If right now you know that Jesus is calling you to more passion for him, and you want to enter into that kind of relationship with him that he's called you to, that he's made available on the cross, Now's the time to repent. Say, God, forgive me. I'm so sorry. From this day forward, I'm coming after you. From this day forward, I'm recommitting to living with great passion for you in my life, to wanting you and to desiring you more than anything else, to finding my joy and my peace and my contentment in you and in your presence. 
all the other things that were the distractions that my heart went out to. Instead, God, forgive me. I'm turning away from those things. I'm coming after you. And maybe you've never even made that decision. Maybe it's not that you need to return to Jesus, but for the first time in your life, God's speaking something to your heart and you're recognizing that you want that love. You're recognizing that your own sinfulness might have separated you from God. But this morning, he's calling you to repent, to be forgiven, to bend your knee to him, to allow him to be the one who leads your life, the one who you're going to follow after. And in doing so, take hold of this beautiful love that he has for you. That's all it is. It's that decision, Jesus. I'm repenting. I'm not in charge of my life anymore. You are. I'm coming after you because the love that I found in you, the love that you offer is greater than anything else in this world. And then it's returning back to the things we did at first. Now here's the beautiful thing. It says that the Holy Spirit we all received and we put our faith in Jesus. So say he's the one who gives us the will and the ability to live a life that's pleasing to God. So this is how I know that you can live with passion in your relationship with Jesus. Because we know it's God's will for you. So the Holy Spirit can stir up that will and that desire in your heart. Holy Spirit, would you do that? Would you come? Would you stir up a desire in all of our hearts for more of you? for more of you, Jesus, to come after you and to find everything that you have for us. And it also says that the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to then live out that life. How do I know that we can have that life with Jesus? Because the Holy Spirit makes it possible. He has the power to do that inside of us. Maybe at the point where you don't even know how to stir up passion in your heart for Jesus again. This is you crying out and saying, Jesus, I am so cold in my love that I don't even know how to have a love for you and passion for you. That's Jesus, forgive me. Holy Spirit, would you birth that inside of me? Would you birth that will inside of my heart? And by your power, would you see it through to completion? Commit to going back to the first things, to seeking after Jesus in Scripture, to seeking after him in worship and in prayer, to seeking after him in serving, to seeking after him and doing all of these things, not just because you're committed to him, but it's a commitment that flows from the passion that you have for him. Spend time in the presence of your groom. Jesus and Radiant Church set our hearts on fire. God, in our city, would you set hearts on fire? God, out of every, gosh, every street in our city, every home, every housing complex, Jesus, would you be stirring up hearts and gathering a people into your family to be your bride? And God, would you purify us? Would you make us pure and spotless without wrinkle and blemish the way that you created us to be and that you made possible on the cross? Jesus, our lives for you, our hearts for you, Jesus, that you would be the burning, all-consuming, encompassing desire of our life. Stir it up in us, we pray name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to have my prayer partners come forward. They're just going to be in the front and the outside here. If there's anything we can pray with you about, we see Jesus do miracles every week. Maybe you need some more prayer for passion in your life. Come, let us pray for you. Maybe you need wisdom for a decision. Maybe there's some sickness in your body. You need healing. Maybe it's a, a reconciliation of a relationship. Whatever it is, Come, let us pray for you. It's what the saints, the church has been doing for 2,000 years. It's the normal part of the Christian life. Remember, 
think about your fasting and prayer, about what you're going to start kind of fasting you're going to do, how you're going to be praying, what you're going to be praying and believing for. Be praying this week heavily for our church, that we would be filled with passion for Jesus as individuals, but also collectively as radiant church. And I encourage you, come out tonight. You want to stir up that passion for Jesus? I really believe that tonight that God's going to do something special to stir up our hearts, that we're going to encounter him in a new way, that we're going to just enjoy the presence of the one who loves us, and that we're going to have an opportunity to cast our love back to him. 6.30 right here tonight. If not, we'll see you Thursday night, 8 to 9 to pray here, and Sunday morning at 9 and 11. And let's seek after Jesus. This year, 2018, we're going after everything he has for us. In the name of Jesus, God bless. See you soon.